glad you're here this morning. We're in part number four of a four-part series. Last week, Cole did a great job with part number three, and I'm excited about being here for the end of this series. You know, when we think about the Old Testament, so often we just think, wow, that's just old. You know, it means nothing today. It's just old. And we think, well, the New Testament, even though it's old, it's not as old as the Old Testament because the Old Testament is just super old. And we could say that in the New Testament, at least we get a better idea of who Jesus is in the New Testament. But if Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said that all of the Scripture is God-breathed and good for learning and good uh, for teaching, and Paul was not talking about the New Testament, he was talking about the Old Testament, then we owe it to ourselves to know more. And if Jesus himself said, and it's recorded in the book of Hebrews, that the volume of the Scripture is about me, is what Jesus said. And Jesus was talking about the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Then we owe it to ourselves to know more. You know, in the Old Testament is where God commanded the Israelites to stop what they were doing. And during seven times of the year, they were to to celebrate some very specific, very special holidays. These celebrations, they go all the way back to the birth of this nation uh, of Israel, and God commanded Moses to record and to explain these festivals that were be to be celebrated every year by the Israelites. And God had these celebrations and his plans all the way back at creation. He already had these celebrations planned. He waited to publish them in his calendar 1,300 years, though, before Jesus was born. Here's the really cool part. Each of these festivals gives us a very specific picture of something in the history, the past of Israel. But every single one of the festivals also gives us a picture of something that was going to happen in the future. That's a prophecy. And God designed these 4D pictures of this prophecy, these pictures of the Messiah, of Jesus, And he had those planned 1,300 years before that Messiah would ever be born. And the Israelites, for the most part, have been celebrating these pictures of the Messiah every year since God gave them to Moses. And that was over 3,000 years ago. Now, if God took his time to give us these creative glimpses of Jesus, then I think we owe it to ourselves to know more. I think we owe it to the Creator, to God. To, to look at this masterpiece, 4D work of art that he has provided. We owe it to him to admire it, to appreciate it, and possibly even to allow it to change our perceptions. God's holidays that he told the nation of Israel to celebrate, they're listed for us in Leviticus chapter 23. And all of these holidays look backward, and all of them look forward, revealing a prophecy And they all predict very significant events in the life of Jesus. And they predict them in detail. And they predict them in order. Now, some of the things pictured some of in these holidays, some of those have already happened. And some have not yet happened. But they will. We started this journey through the festivals. We're only looking at four of the seven. We started with the Feast of... Uh, Passover, and that begins the festival year for the Jewish people. Uh, That is the very day in the history of Israel that 
the Passover lamb was, uh, was sacrificed that very day. And that's also the very day that Jesus, the lamb of God, was sacrificed for us when he died on a Roman cross. It, he died on Passover. Pretty interesting. And the very next day, the Israelites were to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. And that was the day that our unleavened bread, the bread of life, Jesus, was placed in the ground, in the tomb, just as he said. In John chapter 12, verse 24, he said, I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. Now he's talking of himself here. It remains by itself. But if it dies... It produces a large crop. And Jesus went in the tomb. He was dead in the tomb at the beginning of the festival of unleavened bread. And then just three days later from that was the next festival. And that was the festival um, of first fruits. And we talked about that last week. The festival for the Israelites to celebrate the, the fact that that seed did go into the ground and it died. But if that seed died, it died to produce a greater crop. And that's how that festival of first fruits was celebrated. The promise of a greater crop to come. If this seed dies, it's going to bring a, better, a bigger crop. And that was precisely the day that Jesus walked out of the tomb alive. The festival of first fruits. And that was promising to us a greater harvest to come, just like the festival of first fruits. But this time it would be a harvest of souls, the souls of men. Wow. These first three feasts predicted in four dimensional detail the sacrifice, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And now that brings us to our feast for today, which is going to end this series for us. This feast today happened 50 days after the last one we talked about last week, the Festival of First Fruits. Now this festival for today has several names. The Hebrew Jews call this Shuvot, and this simply means the, the Feast of Weeks. I'll explain that in a moment. But the Greek Jews call this the Feast of Pentecost, which means it ha it's 50 days. That's what Pentecost means. 50 days. The 50th day. It's also, this feast is referred to as the festival of the harvest. So however it's referred to by different Jews, different parts of the world, um, let's look and see what God says about celebrating this feast for the Israelite nation. And it's in Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to start with verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain lifted up as a special offering, we talked about that last week, God says, count off seven full weeks. And that's where uh, the Hebrew Jews get the, the name of the feast, the Feast of Weeks, because it's seven full weeks after the last festival. And then God gives us another description of the same amount of time in verse 16. He says, keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then he says, which is 50 days later. And that's where the Greek Jews get the term, the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of the 50th day. That's what that means. And God goes on, he tells Moses, then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Now, 
this feast that we're talking about today is tied to a really big harvest time for Israel. It's the wheat harvest. Now, the feast we talked about last week is the very beginning of a smaller harvest called the barley harvest. But this feast is a bigger harvest. First fruits that we talked about last week happens on a Sunday. That is when Jesus walked out of the tomb, out of the grave, on a Sunday. And this feast we're talking about today that happened 50 days later is also on a Sunday. Um, now, there's two verses in this uh, feast that I want to draw your attention to very quickly that, that explain something pretty important where God has created a very careful picture that I want to present to you. This morning, in verse 17, listen to how God describes part of this feast. He says, from wherever you live. Now, in other words, he's saying this is a feast that no matter as a Jewish person, no matter where you live, you are to travel to Jerusalem. Travel back to Jerusalem. There's only three feasts that require all of them to travel back. This was one of them. So from wherever you live, bring two loaves of bread to be lifted up, uh, before the Lord as a special offering. Two loaves of bread. Um, and it's a wave offering. So the priest is going to take the two loaves of bread and, and quite literally just wave them in front of the people and in front of God. And each family is supposed to bring two loaves of bread for this wave offering. Last week we talked about a wave offering. And he was waving the grain, the first of the, the harvest. And this time though, it's bread that he's waving. Um, and when he waved the grain from the first fruits, he was saying, the priest was saying, if, if God can take this seed that has died and been placed in the ground and bring it back to life, then in the form of a harvest, then all the seeds that he's planted will produce a greater harvest to come. And now they're celebrating this bigger harvest with this festival. If he can bring that one seed back to life, he can bring all of those seeds that he's planted back to life. So this wave offering that they're doing this time, two loaves of bread. Now, that bread is the product of the grain. So the first one, he was waving grain, and that grain, when it's crushed and ground, and it produces flour and they make the bread. Now he's waving this bread. And they're told precisely how to make the bread. Here's what he said. Make these loaves from four quarts of choice flour. In other words, these two loaves are going to be the exact same weight. They're going to be the same size and the exact same weight. And he says, and bake them with yeast. Now, we've been talking throughout this series about yeast. And in the Bible, yeast, the presence of leaven or yeast, represents the presence of sin. And so this is a very important point. He says, bake these two loaves with yeast. And then he says, they will be an offering to the Lord from the first of your crops. And you've heard us use the term first fruits. That's the very first, the first part of their crop. Now this time though, the first fruits that we're talking about with this festival, 
do not represent Jesus. They did in the last one, the festival of first fruits. They did represent Jesus. But this time, what they're waving in front of the Lord has yeast in it. And yeast represents sin. And Jesus was sinless, so this wave offering cannot represent Jesus, these first fruits. So this time, the first fruits represented here by the two loaves of bread made with yeast, they represent not Jesus, but they represent sinful man. But because they're called first fruits, they represent saved sinful man. These two loaves are identical in size and weight. That's important too. So somehow God is picturing two saved sinful parts. And in this case now, it represents the saved Gentiles, which means anyone who is not a Jew, and it represents the saved Jews. Now, we think of the church today as mostly Gentiles. We don't think of it being equal with the Jews because we think, well, there's a lot more saved Gentiles. But there is a greater body of Jews that we're told about during all the, the events that lead up and, and surround the second coming of Jesus that's talked about in Zechariah and Romans that talk about the vast number of Jews that will be saved. And now these two wave offerings represent those saved Gentiles and those saved Jews. And he goes on to talk about the various sacrifices that are involved of animals. We're going to skip past that part because I wanted you to understand those two loaves of bread that contain leaven. That's the important picture. Picturing saved um, but sinful man. Now, there's a second verse. It's going to be in verse 22 that I want to draw your attention to. Listen to what else is highlighted here among all of the other information about this festival. Verse 22. When you harvest the crops of your land. So God is putting into law something very important here. He says, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. In other words, leave those untouched, the edges, all the way around. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. In other words, while they're harvesting, if, if bunches of grain fall, leave it. If it falls to the ground, just leave it. Don't, don't touch that. He says, leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. And then he kind of seals it with his stamp. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Now, this is so interesting. This was part of God's plan. And some of the poor who ate from those fields, from the corners and from what was dropped in the field... One of those becomes a very notable person, not so notable when it happens, but becomes a notable person, and her name is Ruth. Ruth happens to be a Gentile, so she's one of those foreigners. But do you know, God in his plan and his providence had Ruth in that field as a foreigner, harvesting from those edges that God had planned centuries and centuries before providing a way for people like Ruth to harvest that food. And she was there. Do you know one thing about Ruth? Ruth was somewhere around the 30th times uh, grandmother of Jesus. And it was because of Ruth and who she married that Jesus is part of the line, 
the bloodline of King David, which was prophesied that he would be. And it's because of Ruth and who she married that Jesus was even born in Bethlehem. And it was because Ruth was harvesting from the edges of one of those fields that she even came into contact with the person she would marry. Pretty interesting how God plans all that out. This was no accident that God placed this as a law. It was not just there to care for and be considerate of the poor among them, but it was also very specifically part of the plan, God's plan to bring his Redeemer into this world. Very interesting. Very interesting. God's advanced planning which he made into law right here. So let's go back to the New Testament now. Jesus, after he walked out of the tomb, the Bible tells us that he rejoined his followers, his disciples, after his resurrection. And the Bible tells us in Acts that Jesus taught them for about 40 days. He taught his uh, disciples before he left. And then he told them, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem because I'm going to send you that gift that I promised, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus did send them that gift exactly on the day of this feast that we're talking about today, the feast of Pentecost, the feast of weeks, the festival of the harvest. It tells us in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, on that very day, all the believers were meeting together in one place. It was on the day of Pentecost that Jesus fulfills that promise. It wasn't the day before, because if it was the day before, then it wouldn't have been what God promised. If it was the day before, then it wouldn't have been what uh, the picture that God had painted with these festivals. It wasn't the day before. It wasn't the day after things are falling. It wasn't the day before. It wasn't the day after. It was on the exact day, the day of Pentecost. And that's when Jesus would send this gift that he was promising on the 50th day. He sent his spirit on the exact day to fulfill that promise that he had made in this picture. Now look, look at this. It's going to be on the screen for you. Verse 2. This is how this happened. This is pretty amazing. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Now what this writer is doing. They are trying to describe with their experience and what they understand in the dimensions of this life that we live in today, they're trying to explain something supernatural, something from a dimension that really they've never experienced. So he's using words and phrases to kind of describe something that's almost indescribable. So that was the first part. Here's the second part of the description. He said, then... What looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now this is happening on the day of the feast of weeks, the festival of the harvest, whatever you want to call it, the, the fe uh, feast of Pentecost, all on this day. 
Now, in our generation, we have locked in to that term, Pentecost. And in fact, when you hear the word Pentecost, or a more common word today, Pentecostal, when you hear that, you imagine something very specific. And it's not what we're reading here. You imagine very possibly a worship style, or you imagine a church style. Um, the word itself, Pentecost, means 50th day. Well, that has nothing to do with what we imagine today when we hear that word. Today, that word has come to mean something different. In fact, I'm almost hesitant to use that word because it pulls up in your mind an image of a worship style or a church style. But we have taken that word and we have made it mean something else. Here, it really just means the 50th day. And that's when this feast was supposed to be celebrated. But we've also taken something from that and attached it to it. Because here, you just heard me read that they began to speak as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability in other languages. And I want to be very clear in this moment, at this time, what's happening. They were not speaking in unintelligible words or in words that were only known to God or another person. That's not what was happening. These men, at this moment, on the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, the Festival of the Harvest, they were speaking literal, real languages in a language that they were not trained that they did not know how to speak and they suddenly had the ability to speak a language that they did not know that they had not been taught how to speak here's how we know what's happening it goes on in verse 5 at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem so in other words from the known world people from all over the world who were either Jews or people from all over the world who um, had converted to the Jewish religion were gathered, some living there, and some were just there for this festival because they were commanded to travel from wherever they lived. So literally, from all over the known world, there were people there. And this specifically, are, these are people who were following God, Jewish people. At the time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by all the believers. Their literal, real language spoken by all the believers. They were shocked. Here's what it said in verse 7. They were completely amazed. They said, how can this be, they exclaimed. These people, in other words, the people who are speaking these languages, they knew these people are all from Galilee. And in saying this, they're saying, these people have no idea how to speak my language. They've been in Galilee their whole lives. They have no idea. They, they, they have no idea. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking our own native languages. And then he goes through a list of like, I don't know, somewhere close to 15 or 16 different people groups or nations saying they're speaking this language and this language and this language. And they go through a list of like 15 or so nations and languages and people groups. And then we pick it up now with verse 11. 
and they're talking about both Jews and converts to Judaism. And then they say, and here, and, and we all hear these speak, people speaking our own language. And they're not just talking to them about the weather and about, hey, how's it going? Nice to see you. He says, no, 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 no. They're talking about the wonderful things God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed, asking themselves, what can this mean? They ask each other. And the feast promises a great harvest as they look at the feast of Pentecost. At, at, at this feast of weeks, the festival of the harvest. It promises a great harvest. And in this harvest, it's a great harvest of souls. And God delivered on that too in this picture. In fact, God gathered 3,000 new souls into his family on this very day. It, it describes it, verse 38. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, he said, to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then, then Peter continued preaching for a long time. So you see, I'm, I'm not too far off. I'm at least teaching in the line of Peter, maybe. And he's strongly urging all of his listeners. He says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And he goes on to the next verse. Listen to what happens. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 and all. That was a great harvest. The fulfillment was exactly in keeping with the purpose and the promise of the Feast of Weeks, the, the Festival of the Harvest, the Feast of Pentecost. You see, it was a greater harvest than what was represented at what we talked about the last week with the Feast of First Fruits. When Jesus came out of the tomb, remember? He raised some other people out of the tombs, just a small number. And this time it was a greater number, 3,000. But that 3,000 in regards to this festival is just a token, even 3,000, just a token in comparison to what it will be when Jesus comes back for his church. 3,000 is a significant number. You may not know this, but when God gave the law, the Ten Commandments and the Torah to the Israelites back at the Mount Sinai when Moses was up on the mountain. And while all the Israelites were down below, um, that's when he kind of birthed this nation. And they built this golden calf and began to worship that calf. Moses came down, things got really ugly. And on that day, the same day that would be the equivalent of the feast of uh, Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, the Festival of the Harvest, that very same day, the equivalent on this day in the New Testament, God killed 3,000 people on that day in the Old Testament. Almost as if to say, the law kills, but the Spirit, now in the New Testament, the Spirit gives life. And 3,000 people were added to the church on the day. Pretty interesting, huh? You see, 
the early followers of Jesus knew it was not by chance, it was not by accident that Jesus was crucified on Passover, that he was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that he was raised to new life at the Feast of First Fruits, and that he sent his Holy Spirit 50 days after that on the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost, the Festival of the Harvest. You see, Jesus came to die. He came to fix the sin problem of the world. And then Jesus left. He came. He fixed the sin problem of the world by dying on the cross. And then he left. But he left so that he could send his spirit and he could start the church. The first time Jesus appeared to his followers after he walked out of the tomb, listen to what he said. In John chapter 20, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then it says, Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 24, Jesus commanded his followers. He said, Now I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, just as my Father has promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes. And fills you with power from heaven. That's what Jesus commanded them in Luke. And it was that very spirit. That God sent. On the feast of weeks. The festival of the harvest. The feast of Pentecost. And he didn't send that spirit. To just be around and among the people. He sent his spirit. To live within every single believer. So that as Jesus left. The church was launched. And you know what? He left the church in charge. Not in charge of the world. He left each follower of Jesus under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And he left them here and he has left you here to be the hands and to be the feet of Jesus here on earth. Now that he's gone. He left you here and me here to take the good news that Jesus, God himself, died as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And to encourage people, challenge people, urge people to simply place their lives into the care and the control of Jesus. God didn't orchestrate his plan to redeem the world to show off. That's not why he did it. He didn't predict in his scriptures through the feast that we've talked about. He didn't predict all that information about the Messiah just to show off. No. He did all the showing off he needed to do at creation. He orchestrated his plan to redeem the world for one reason. Because he loves you. So I simply ask. Can you see him now? Do you see God's plan to redeem his creation? Do you see that? A plan that he put on his calendar years before Jesus the Messiah even was born. A plan that he gave us a a, a creative glimpse of. A creative four-dimensional picture of Jesus that he painted through these festivals And Jesus came and accomplished every picture that God painted of him. Can you see him now? 
You see, God did this for you. Jesus, God's chosen Passover lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus, the unleavened, sinless bread of life. Jesus, the grain of wheat that had to die and be buried in the ground so there could be a greater harvest later. Jesus, the first fruits who rose again. And if there was a first fruit, then that implies that there will be a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. And that means if you have submitted your life to the care and control of Jesus, that you also have a number. Jesus, the one who left our physical presence and launched his church as he sent his spirit to live not just near you, but in you. If you're a believer, a follower of Jesus. Jesus did that for you. God told us that it was coming. He told us in his scriptures. God showed us that it was coming through the festivals that he created. And Jesus came and did it. He did it so that you could have a relationship with him forever. As we end this series, if you've not yet committed your life to the care and the control of Jesus, I have a question for you. What are you going to do with this Jesus? I hope that you will come to the place where you can admit that you have tried this life on your own and you have failed to get past the problem of sin. I pray that you will believe that Jesus died for you and rose again to pay the price for your sin. And I pray that you will confess to him right now that he is your new owner, your boss, and that you are now following him, Jesus, in his way. And if that's what you're doing, I hope you'll mark your connection card before you turn it in. Mark it on the back side there where it says, I'm becoming a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're already a follower of Jesus, I have a different question for you. What are you going to do with this Jesus? The one that you say that you're following. Are you really following? I mean moment by moment, every day. Or are you just simply acknowledging that Jesus is your Savior and moment by moment you're really just doing what you choose and you're really just living as you choose, mostly on your own? You see, Jesus sent His Spirit to live inside of you. And my question is, how has that changed you? What noticeable difference has that made in your life? What noticeable difference has that made to others who have watched you? Do they see a difference in you? Here's another way to look at that. If every follower of Jesus throughout the world, who God calls the church, if every follower of Jesus throughout the world was the church the way you are the church, if 
Every follower of Jesus was the body of Christ the way you are the body of Christ. If every follower of Jesus was led by God's Spirit the way that you follow and are led by God's Spirit, what would happen in this world? How many new followers of Jesus would there be in this new world? Could it be? Has Jesus placed his plan to connect the world to himself in the right hands? In your hands? In my hands? And I will tell you this. He knows that he has. He believes in you. He knows he's placed it in your hands, the right hands, and He believes in you. And He's waiting on you to simply begin loving Him above all else. You know, this all applies to us today. Even this feast that we're talking about, it still applies to us today. Because we have not yet seen the fulfillment of feast number 5, 6, and 7. We have only seen the feast fulfilled one, two, three, and four. Up to this one. This one that we talked about today. And it stops right there. The others have not yet been fulfilled. So that means today, this moment, we are still living in the midst of what God sent us out to do. Way back on this day when Jesus sent his spirit to live in all believers. So that means today, this very moment, we remain under the same orders of Pentecost. We are to continue this summer crop cultivation. At this very moment, we remain workers in the field until that great day of the next feast that is yet to be fulfilled, the Feast of Trumpets. With all of these feasts that God has provided in Leviticus, God forecasts the entire career of the Messiah, the Jews, the church, the tribulation, the Jews and Gentiles together to form the church, the corners of the fields being left as sustenance and food for the poor, including Jesus himself who ate from those corners and his disciples and God laid out all of those feasts in a time frame that reflects God's great calendar. Did you notice that the first three feasts we talked about happened in rapid succession? One day, one day, one day. Three in a row. Just like the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Rapid succession. Right in a row. And then a slight pause before that fourth feast. Just like... There was a slight pause before God sending the Holy Spirit. And then to the next feast, which we haven't talked about, there's a long pause before the big harvest. Just like there's a long pause before the rapture of the church. You want to know what's coming up next on God's calendar? His redemption story his calendar for eternity, then you just simply have to look at those next three feasts that we have yet to talk about in this series. Look at those next three feasts. And I tell you this, they tell the same story 
that we read about the redemption story and the next events on God's calendar in the New Testament. And God did all of that for you. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful. I am so grateful that you acted out of love on our behalf. And God, may we answer that question, what are we to do with this Jesus? May we answer that question. God, for those today who have not yet placed their lives into your care and your control, may that be ever on their minds this week. What are we to do with this Jesus? And God, for those of us who have placed our lives into your care and your control, may we ask the same question, what are we to do with this Jesus? Are we just claiming you as Savior, or are we really submitted to you moment by moment? Are we living by following the Holy Spirit that you have placed in our lives as a believer, moment by moment, day by day? What? are we to do with this Jesus? God, I pray that we can answer that question today. And it is in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, that we pray these things. Amen.